0: Let's go right to our first topic. Um, This week, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago filed a lawsuit against the Chicago Cubs, alleging that Wrigley Field is violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. And interestingly, July 26th is the 32nd anniversary of the passage of that law, which prohibits uh, discrimination against people uh, with disabilities. And with us to discuss this lawsuit and the ADA in general is Barry Taylor. He is the Vice President for Civil Rights and Systemic Litigation. at Equip for Equality, where he oversees disability discrimination cases. He writes and speaks on these issues. He served on Senator Dick Durbin's Federal Judicial Screening Committee and on the Governor and City's Chicago Task Force on Employment and Economic Opportunity for Persons with Disabilities. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of Illinois, uh, University of Chicago Law School. Welcome to the show, Barry. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks, Karen. It's great to be with you.
0: Okay, so let's go to the general allegations of this lawsuit. Can you tell our listeners what the U.S. Attorney's Office is alleging that Wrigley Field is doing that violates the ADA?
1: Sure. So, as you said, the U.S. Attorney's Office filed this. Uh, They have jurisdiction uh, under the ADA, and they're alleging that the Cubs had failed to ensure that certain uh, recent additions and alterations they made to Wrigley Field that those changes uh, still allow for accessibility for people with disabilities who go to Wrigley Field, and that that's required by the ADA. And specifically, the lawsuit claims that the Cubs did a major renovation, and when they did that, they removed some of the best wheelchair seating in the stadium. They designed and constructed wheelchair seating that didn't have adequate sight lines. So, for instance, they're in the back row of certain sections, and when people stand up, people in wheelchairs can't see the field anymore. Um, they're not dispersed um, uh, across the stadium, so it's supposed to be dispersed vertically, so close to the field and away from the field, and also uh, horizontally, so the center where a home plate is all the way out to the different um, baselines, and that some of the seating is segregated away from other people with disabilities. Some of the new club seating and group seating doesn't have the requirements, and then they didn't make, even the places where they didn't make changes, they, they uh, still are some accessibility problems. In addition to the seating, there's also issues about uh, bathroom accessibility, counter accessibility, parking accessibility, and even the shuttles that transport people to the to the uh, stadium uh, has accessibility problems. So a lot of different allegations, a lot of it depends on which part of the stadium we're talking about.
0: Let, yeah, I've got about 45 seconds that I have to hit exactly, Barry, but why is it that the U.S. Attorney's Office brought this? Tell me why they, they are able to do that, if you can quickly tell me that
1: sure so when congress passed the ada they uh designated uh the department of justice and then the us attorney's office to have jurisdiction to interpret and enforce title 2 and title 3 of the ada and title 3 is what we're talking about today which involves public accommodations, which are private businesses that are open to the public, which includes stadiums.
0: Okay. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking more about these allegations. We're here with Barry Taylor talking about the lawsuit against Wrigley Field, and you're listening to The Karen Conti Show on WGN. Well cubs may win their games but the cubs may also lose this lawsuit uh we're talking to barry taylor about the lawsuit that was filed by the u.s attorney's office this week alleging that wrigley field is not so friendly in their confines in that there are numerous violations of the americans with disabilities act um Barry, you listed all of these things that were in the lawsuit, different uh, aspects of the uh, Disabilities Act that were violated. Tell me how this works. This, this renovation, my understanding is it started maybe 2014 or so, and it was done over time. Wouldn't there have been experts, uh, construction experts, to make sure that the ADA was complied with while this was going on?
1: Well, what you need to understand is that um, there's no um, agency that's designated to review for ADA violations because it's a federal law or ADA compliance when they're putting together their plans. There are um, requirements to get insurance that you're covering state and local building codes, and so that's the kind of thing that um, was likely looked at. And uh, there are some similarities between some of those building codes and the ADA. But, you know, what can happen sometimes in these cases is that um, they can sign off on these plans, but it doesn't necessarily mean that when the architect and the uh, construction folks start putting the plans in place, that they actually follow them to the T. And so sometimes there's problems with people actually doing what they said, and if they make changes, sometimes they go awry. Of the accessibility requirements, because but it seems I would say I just wanted to say sure. that the ADA I think is very clear, and most architects are are really clear on what they need to do and what they 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 can't do. Uh, so when you do renovate, even an old building like Wrigley Field, the ADA does come into into place and has very concrete requirements that need to be followed.
0: Well, and I smell another lawsuit coming because it seems to me that if Wrigley Field is going to have to make all of these changes, or at least some of these changes, it's going to cost millions of dollars, perhaps, and the construction people and the architects might get sued. Is that a natural um, re- a natural um, result of some of this kind of thing?
1: It certainly can happen where you can you know, bring in other parties. So it could be other parties are brought into this existing lawsuit or other lawsuits can happen. You know, certainly when settlement negotiations happen, which often happen after a lawsuit is filed, uh, different parties that are involved, you know, might have um, discussions and involvement in those types of things as well. And what's also interesting is there was an individual suit that was filed a number of years ago uh, at the beginning of the construction uh, and that is still pending so the cubs are not only defending against the US government but they also have another federal lawsuit that was brought by a wheelchair user who was claiming he didn't have the opportunities to see the cubs like he had before the construction
0: I do remember that and I think I think it was a lawyer who brought it who is also disabled is that is that right Actually, the lawyer has a son who has the son is disabled. So that's, that's right, right, right,
1: exactly. So, and that's still pending.
0: Yeah, and that's been that's been pending for a while. So, again, um, when you have a stadium that's 108 years old and it's now protected as a national landmark, um, what if? I mean, I. I it, what if what if it, those two things clash? Meaning that it's a landmark and you have to keep it a certain way and have to have it have a certain look. But then the ADA is saying no, you've got to have certain ramps or certain um, aspects uh, that really conflict with keeping it uh, as it as it was in the in the old days. Is that does that happen ever where there's a clash?
1: It, it can happen, but I think that's a bit of a red herring in this situation because you know. This is not a situation where the Cubs are saying we don't want any changes to Wrigley Field. They actually voluntarily are making a lot of changes, uh, and that's certainly their right to do. But when you the, the way the ADA works is that, you know, older buildings don't have to be completely accessible. It's only if it's readily achievable without expense. And it's new construction that really the ADA puts these stronger accessibility requirements. But when you alter existing buildings, even that existed prior to the ADA, you know, hundred years before the ADA, um, that triggers the ADA accessibility requirements. And there's no allegations here that I think that, you know, the sort of the classic parts of Wrigley Field like the outside sign or the you know the Ivy and the the brick uh wall and that sort of thing, That those are changing. They're they're modifying other parts. And once you make that decision to modify it, even if it is a historic building, the ADA would apply.
0: Interesting. So, uh, and Cubs came out with a short statement that said something to the effect that we're cooperating and blah, blah, blah. How do you see this playing out um you know what in this process will the u.s attorney's office try to negotiate with the cubs and try to get them to push them into making these changes will they fight some of the changes saying you know now you know what you're you're saying that we violated but we really didn't because it really isn't compliance or that perhaps we can't reasonably make these accommodations how do you see this playing out barry
1: well you know certainly it's a bit of speculation at this point but sure. you can look at their previous case that they are they are litigating um and they filed a motion to dismiss but they tried to get the case kicked out at the beginning and the judge denied that and now they're trying to um get the case uh, resolved without trial a motion for summary judgment and so they have been fighting that case pretty aggressively With the Department of Justice, because it is a broader lawsuit, um, what often happens is the Department of Justice does an investigation and then they try to settle it before they file. Well, they did file, so it appears that any negotiations that would have happened before weren't successful. But oftentimes after the lawsuit has happened, another round of settlement can happen. So, you know, perhaps they now that they've seen that they can't... um, escape the lawsuit from the federal government as well as this individual lawsuit, they may try to resolve it. And, you know, the main changes they would need to make would be to ensure that they're complying with the ADA as far as all the different seating requirements. So it's not about paying a bunch of money, you know, to an individual or to the to government, which is part of it. It really is about making those changes to ensure full accessibility and availability for people with disabilities to enjoy Wrigley Field, just like anybody else.
0: Right. Um, You know, and I I just want to mention this. uh, Sometimes people are a little... I would say um, not very sympathetic to people who are disabled and just think it's just a big problem to have ramps done a certain way but if you've ever known somebody who is disabled, somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who's elderly, somebody who's in crutches or whatever it is and you have tried to navigate with them any public accommodation at, with that that has a problem, you see the, the it's terrible. It's a horrible thing for a person who can't go to a baseball game, can't go to a restaurant can't go to a place uh, where everyone else is meeting, or, or friends are meeting, or family is meeting because of their disability. And it just seems to me that when, especially like you said, when new buildings are going up, new construction is happening, it's not that big a deal to make them, uh, you know, accessible for for people who just can't can't get around. But that's just my little my little thought of the day here. Um, Barry, you've worked in this field for a long time as an attorney, and you know since George uh, H. W. Bush signed the ADA into law, but back in 1990, and as I said, it's uh, the ADA is marking its 32nd anniversary. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on, like, how this has changed the world for people who have had disabilities, and how this has been good for our society?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the ADA was really brown, great, groundbreaking legislation that. Um, You know, was not available for people with disabilities until 1990. You know, all the other civil rights laws were passed in the 60s, and disability was left out of that. But finally, uh, the ADA was passed, and it really is focusing on inclusion and integration and equity for people with disabilities, so that they can be part of our society. And that has made tremendous changes. I mean, you see curb cuts, you see uh, elevators up to the L platform. Uh, Those things would have happened if there wasn't an ADA. And there's all kinds of other changes that have happened. You know, you go into bathrooms that are accessible and buildings that are accessible where people couldn't have gone before. You see uh, employers aren't allowed to ask certain questions on employment applications anymore. Um, In fact, a lot of people with disabilities have been segregated away from society, and the Supreme Court decided a really important case called Olmstead, which said that separate is not equal. It's sort of the, the... The disabilities community, Brown versus Board of Education, and now thousands of people who used to be segregated away in nursing homes and other institutions are now living in the community with everybody else. And um, that's just been historic changes.
0: I'm going to briefly uh, turn our attention, there's another part of the ADA. we're talking about public accommodations, but we also have the American with Disabilities Act in an employment situation. So uh, basically, your employer has to accommodate your disability. We don't have a whole lot of time, but can you tell our listeners, what is a disability under that law that an employer would have to accommodate, and then if there is such a disability, how would the employer have to accommodate
1: Sure. So the definition of disability is a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. So if you're deaf, you're substantially limited in the major life activity of hearing. And if you are a person who falls within that definition, uh, employers do have a, an obligation to provide reasonable accommodations so that you can do the essential functions of your job. So perhaps you need to have a ramp to get to um, your workspace, or maybe if you are um having uh, diabetes, you need to be able to take a break to go give yourself insulin, those kinds of things. So modifying the job so that you can be uh, part of the workplace. And it's what's called an interactive process. And the employer and the employee are supposed to go back and forth and talk about what changes need to be happening in order for them to be uh, integrated into the workplace. So it's it's not um, oftentimes people think it's very expensive. And Studies have shown that most reasonable accommodations are no cost or low cost to employers. So sometimes people tend to think that things are a lot more costly. And to me, while the costs are minimal, the benefits of having people with disabilities in our workplace and in our society are so, so uh,
0: Huge. Barry Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Barry Taylor is, um, vice president of civil rights and systemic litigation for Equip for Equality, uh, here in Chicago. And, uh, if you want to contact me and always contact me at WGN at askcarenconti.com and I'll put you in contact with him.